Well, thank you, worship team, for the, the songs to prepare our hearts this morning. You would, you would have thought when you hear the message today that Bob and I spent lots of time this week talking over what songs would have fit perfectly well with the message. We did not. Um, God worked all of that out, and, and our hearts have been prepared well. There were two friends, they were driving through the state of Louisiana, and they came to this particular town, and they argued for a long time um, what, how to pronounce that. They, they argued, and they argued, and they argued, and they could not come to an agreement. So they finally stopped for lunch, and uh, after getting their food, one of the guys says to the cashier, can you settle an argument for us? Uh, very slowly, tell us where we are. She leans across the register, and she says, Burger King. <laughs> um, sometimes we need help to know where we are. Uh, so does anybody, anybody from the South know how to pronounce that? Kinda. Not according to Google, but uh, it's Natchitoches according to Google. So. Um, Somebody today call down there to the Burger King and ask um, what uh, settle an argument for us. You know, we need help remembering. We need help remembering. We need help remembering where we've been. We need help remembering where we are. We need help uh, to remember how we got where we are. And we also need help remembering what we're supposed to do there, do there when we get there or where we are. What are we supposed to do while we are there? Uh, and I say sometimes, but I think the reality is we always need reminded, don't we? Always. Uh, we are so forgetful. I mean, I, I certainly am forgetful. Now, people often refer, refer, refer to my siblings and myself growing up as the five Ds. Uh, our parents named us all start with the starting letter of D. It was Donna, Dean, Dennis, Dwayne, and David. And then our dad was Donald. And uh, sometimes, you know, of course, mom, she just would pick one when she would yell at us. And usually I was, David was the fifth name that she chose when she was yelling at me. Um, now, last week, I introduced us at the end of the, of the message to, to four Ds. And my, I just want to ask anybody that was here last week, do you remember what the four Ds were? Anybody? Can anybody tell me what the four D's were from last week? Very good, Bonnie. Did you take notes? Okay. Did you just read those notes? Okay. <clears throat> Doctrine, duty, discernment, and dedication. And all important themes that must be a part of our everyday lives as we live life in relationship with Jesus Christ. And in all of his letters... Paul is always really, really good at balancing his emphasis on theology and doctrine, what we should believe and why, with what does this mean to me today in my life? How, how does this affect the way that I live my life? And we see that um, in, in powerful ways in the book of Titus. Now, Paul encourages Titus to lead, to lead well, to appoint leaders. He, he also admonishes the Christians on Crete to live well. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but one of the things that I read this week was the fact that, that Paul didn't want Titus, Titus's job wasn't to straighten out necessarily 
all of the pagan people on the island of Crete. His initial mission was to straighten out the Christians, those who were already in the churches, who, who, who believed and, and were following, and then were sinking right back into the culture that, that they lived their life in every day. And, and he's not... And, and there is one way, Paul says, in order for you to do this, and that is to preach the gospel. You know, Bob said over and over and over again, we talk about the resurrection, the crucifixion resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's where, that's where life is found. That's, that's the, the action of God's grace. He changes us all from the inside out. It's the gospel. It's not hearing that I'm doing wrong and, and just out of sheer discipline fixing that in my life. And, and I think there are times when we need to do that. But the, the reason that we want to do that comes from the grace and glory of, of Jesus Christ in our life, a change that's happening. The gospel changes our life. It's the gospel that gives us the desire to live righteously. It's the gospel that empowers us to be able to live righteously. It's the gospel that frees us from the bondage and, and slavery of sin. God's incredible, incomprehensible grace and glory. I really wanted to use the word incomprehensible, that's not a word, um, at least according to word. Uh, it's incomprehensible. We just can't understand it. We can't, it's hard to fathom it, you know, that tenth of a percent of understanding the grace of God. Well, Paul is going to be explaining that to us once again today as we look in our passage. But before you jump to the book of Titus, or if you're already there, Put a bookmark in that and turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians, another letter of Paul's, which we went through uh, about a year ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to read verses 14 through 21. And I want us to... Just allow this to sink in this morning. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if, for those who have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors." As though God were making his appeal through us, 
We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul, to to the, the Corinthians in his first letter, Paul, Peter, John, they were with Jesus. They, they saw Jesus. They, they knew Jesus. They, they saw him die. They saw him alive again. They know the new relationship. They know the new. They know the new that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. They died for it, in fact. They gave their lives for it, for the truth that was Jesus Christ. And Titus is to help the Cretan Christians remember And he is reminding us to remember because we need help remembering. Now, in our passage today, we find four main areas that Paul wants Titus to remind the Cretans, the Cretan church to remind us. That's how chapter 3 starts. Remind the people. Remind them, Paul says. Literally, tell them things that they should already know. In other words, these things aren't new. The churches have heard these things before, but God knows how forgetful we can be. All throughout Scripture, we're warned of the dangers of forgetfulness, and we also see many promises to those who, in fact, do remember. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Peter writes this, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. As long as I live, as walk, Peter said, as long as God lets me walk this earth, I'm going to remind you constantly of these things. One of the main reasons for Israel's downfall was a bad memory. We can think of several times when God did amazing, miraculous, supernatural things for the nation of Israel, and it seems like the next day or the next week, they're they're doing their own thing again. They're, they're, They're fashioning a all of their gold into a calf and and then declare that it was the calf that brought them out of Egypt. How does that happen? Well, how do we walk out of this building after hearing a message that really impacts our hearts on a Sunday and by Monday afternoon we're cussing our neighbor or, or we're just lacking love for the people that think differently than we do? How does that happen? Psalm 106, verse 7 says, When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. And then in verse 13, But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. And in Matthew 16, verse 9, Jesus says to his disciples, Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Don't you remember the supernatural that has occurred to you? So as Paul begins to wrap up his letter and Pastor Brandon is going to conclude this next week, next Sunday, Paul reminds us, uh, first of all, that we need to remember our duties. We need to remember our duties, one of the four D's from last week. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Titus chapter 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. So 
the grace and glory of God in us brings us to a place of change and godly living. And that change and godly living impacts the world around us and all of the people that we interact with on a daily basis more than we would like to admit. We would like to say that what I do and what I think doesn't affect the people around me, but it does. It does. We're told in Paul's first letter to Timothy to pray for those who are in authority over us. Now, it doesn't matter if we agree, if we agree with their policies or if we agree with their party or if we agree with their politics or even consider them an enemy. We are commanded to pray for them. To pray for them. Paul also says that we have a duty to obey them. Now, this doesn't mean that we give our government our unconditional allegiance. Because if we did that, the government would become our God. Those people who are in authority would become our God. And we would just do whatever it is that they say and, and, and whatever, uh, you know, unconditional allegiance. That, that would be worship worshiping the state, and we are not to do that. It would be similar to, to emperor worship of the first century. But we do have a Christian duty to submit to the government, as Paul also describes in Romans chapter 13. In Romans chapter 13, God, uh, Paul writes that God puts rulers and authorities in place. God has put those rulers and authorities in place. Now, Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 and 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. And before you cry, this just isn't fair. And you, you use words like, I don't know, our government is stupid and they're taking us down a terrible path. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want us to think about any of that. I just want us to consider what we're reading here. Because it, it doesn't sit well with our sense of justice. But, but the authorities that are over us, and, and we take all scripture as truth, is from God. Now, the Cretans, as Polybius tells us, were notoriously turbulent in character. They were, they were defiant on a, on a daily basis in their normal everyday lives. They were constantly involved in insurrections, murders, and internecine wars. They had been conquered by Rome in 67 BC and ever since had been continuously restless under Roman colonial control. Paul mentioned their insubordinate spirit in the beginning of this letter. Okay? And now Paul is telling Titus to tell the Christians who are on the island of Crete, who are subject to a terrible Roman government, to be submissive to their rulers. Now, since God puts them there, those rulers, our loyalty is first to him. Okay, hang with me here. And if our duty to God comes into collision with our duty to the state, then our duty to God takes precedence over that. 
And, and a lot of the discussions and the debates and, quite frankly, some of the divisive arguments that we can get into that, that surround this have more to do with personal opinion than they do with biblical truth. And, and, and if we're going to die on a hill, we need to make sure it's a biblical truth hill. In Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29, It says this, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin, which was their religious local government, to be questioned by the high priest. The high priest says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, in Jesus' name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So the rulers are telling them to do something that's completely opposite of what Scripture is telling them to do and what Jesus commanded them to do, was to go unto all nations and make disciples, preach the good news of the gospel, right? And so Peter and the other apostles reply with this, we must obey God rather than human beings. If the government tells us something to do, that is opposed to what Scripture commands us or tells us not to do something that is opposed to what Scripture tells us, then we are then left to obey God and not men. But let's be cautious with how we do that and when we do that. If we water that down, then our message of the gospel becomes weak and, and ineffective in, in my opinion. But now, uh, our duty doesn't stop at being law-abiding citizens. Because, you know, your mind might go there. Well, I just need to be a law-abiding citizen. And I would say, well, yes, we do. Uh, we need to be aware of everything else that is going on around us. In our families, in our neighborhoods. We are to be ready to do, if you look at that uh, first few verses there in Titus again. We are to be ready to do whatever is good. Now, that's in relation to what the government wants us to do, right? And, and, and beyond. Uh, we need to be looking and waiting. We need to be standing on the edge of the ocean looking for boats that are sinking, looking for people that need help uh, in order to do whatever is good. And, and then not only notice them and see them, but then step in and help them. Do that what, which is good, uh, whenever we have the opportunity, ready to do whatever is good. And then also, Paul says, to not do some things. He said this at the end of chapter 2 as well with some other things. Um, so, we are to slander no one. Now, the description of slander means to speak reproachfully, to rail at, to revile, or to make false and defamatory statements about or to curse. That comes from the Strong's Concordance about what that word means in English. Now, that's a pretty strong definition. And, and initially, you hear some of those words, and you're like, well, I don't do that. I don't, you know, I don't rail at people. I don't revile people. Mm. I mean, Paul is... Paul is stepping on our toes here. I would suggest that all of us, 
all of us slander others, especially in reference to our government or its leaders. Uh, Paul says, slander no one. Be peaceable and considerate. This attitude and response to things around us attracts people to us, doesn't it? If we do the opposite of that, if we're not peaceable and we're inconsiderate, uh, we, we do not draw people to ourselves. Who doesn't want to be around somebody who is peaceable and considerate? I, I love being around people who, who just help you feel at ease and at peace and, and, and you notice in their lives that they're just really considerate to other people around them, but it doesn't take you very long to see somebody that's negative all the time and that sort of has it against everybody and, and in fact, they're kind of inconsiderate. Uh, they just say whatever they think and they do whatever they want to do and, and it doesn't take very long to go, ah, I'm not sure I want to hang out you know, with that person very much. Paul says, to show true humility toward all men. Don't be arrogant about what you believe. Don't be arrogant about your opinions. If you find yourself using the words stupid and idiot and ignorant as you talk about other people, well, I think this is a good reminder today. Um, Show humility toward all people. Pastor Scott Mathis posted something last week. This is what he said. Consistently losing friends due to unholy conflicts? Avoiding family reunions? Lonely at work? Have you ever thought that you might be the problem? If there are always relational struggles in our lives, it's usually because we're addicted to self. Truly, pride needs to be crucified daily. Humility is the binder of relationships. Proverbs 13.10 says, Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. It's a good reminder, very, very good reminder in the world that we live in today. We need to remember that how we live and what we say and how we say it impacts the people around us. Either negatively and for evil or positively and for good. So we're to remember our duties. And one of the things that helps us to be more patient and understanding with the people around us is to remember where we were. In verse 3, Paul says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And if you just think about Paul's life and, and the testimony that he has about how Jesus met him on the road and changed his life and what his life was before it was changed, a, a zealous Pharisee, a zealous leader in in the Jewish church persecuting Christians because of this new idea that they had about this guy, they say, who who claimed to be God, who was there condoning the the murder of Stephen and trying to, to lock up as many Christians as he could to get a handle on this. Paul, of all people, knows what life used to be like before Jesus Christ. But, but if you are in Christ today, you know too. And, and uh, look, I grew up in an amazingly stable, not perfect, but stable household community. I wasn't a rebellious child. Um, I prayed to receive Christ at a very early age. Um, 
the Spirit really got a hold of me when I was a senior in high school. You know, I, I did not live a tumultuous, a tumultuous teenage life. I was, I was one of five, but I was 10 years younger than my next closest brother, so I was kind of by myself. Life wasn't hard for me. And, and if you live that way for a long period of time, there was a time it was, I don't remember, I remember standing out here next to the, uh, next to the coat rack, praying, God, help me to understand how much I've been saved from. Because when we sort of live a generally speaking good life, we have a little bit hard time recognizing how much grace there really is in our life. Because we think, well, like, I mean, I'm just such a good guy, I kind of deserve it. No, that's not true for any of us. For it's not true for anyone. We need to remember who we were. Uh, and Paul, as he is reminding us of this, again touches on the truth of our salvation. And, and it's a truth that we have to remember as we interact with other people. And, and it's this, that before the grace and glory of Jesus Christ was in us, this is, that is who we were. That is who we were. Um, that is why we needed a Savior. A, a major ingredient of being grateful is remembering where we once were. We were deceived. We were enslaved by sin. We were locked up to it by all kinds of passions and pleasures. This is who we were before grace. We were foolish and disobedient. Uh, both mentally and morally depraved, no sense and no sensibility. And with no control of our passions and pleasures, it was all about us. It wasn't just a matter of being foolish, but Paul says deceived. You see, Satan is a liar. His promises are always empty. They will always be empty. He takes us captive in sin. We were victims and slaves of Satan without Christ. In fact, we wished people evil, which is malice. And we coveted and envied the good things that they had. All of these things are a serious disruption to our relationships. Um, they bring us to the point of hating and being hated, as Paul says. I mean, Paul sets up some some interesting contrasts here, doesn't he? From where we were to where we are in Christ. Submissiveness in our relationship with Christ versus foolishness, living life on our own. Obedience versus disobedience. Readiness to do good versus enslavement by evil. Or just in general, just living for self. A kindness and peaceableness versus malice and envy. Humility and gentleness versus being hateful and hating. How is it possible for us to get from one mindset to the other? How do we get from one lifestyle to the other lifestyle? To exchange addiction for freedom. Well, we find the answer in verse 5. Do you see it? Do you see the answer to this problem in verse 5? What is it? He saved us. Yes. 
He saved us. Once we were this, but now we are this, and the reason is because of Jesus. Once we were, but now we are. Without Jesus, we have no hope of reconciliation with God or for regeneration and restoration and transformation. This is where remembering our salvation comes in, number three. Thinking that that we can somehow save ourselves is part of the enemy's deception. And and that's why it's important that we we live right so that people can see that there is a difference, so that, that we can have the opportunity to, to be able to share what Jesus did for me with somebody else who doesn't know, who, has, who is living the, dece- the deceived life. Uh, this is an old name, but Shirley MacLaine said, look into yourself, explore yourself, for all the answers are within yourself. And in her book, Going Within, she says, the new age is all about self-responsibility. That is, taking responsibility for everything that happens since the only source is ourselves. Look at verse 4. It tells us where the source, the true source is. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared... He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Paul testifies to another source of salvation. It's not you and it's not me. It doesn't come from within us. When our Savior appeared, that is the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he saved us. In verse verse 5, Paul says it's because of his great mercy. And in verse 7, his justifying grace. There's four amazing words that I want you to write down in your notes that Paul uses here. It's God's kindness is shown even to the ungrateful and wicked. Because we all were. All of us were. God's kindness is shown even to the ungrateful and wicked. His love is his concern for the the whole human race. His mercy goes out to the helpless who cannot save themselves. And his grace reaches out to the guilty and undeserving. We need to figure out a way in which we can have a Christ perspective on the lives of people. They were created in the image of God. They might still be how we once were. But we, we shouldn't just write them off. We just say, shouldn't just say, well, they would be you know, totally disinterested or, or wouldn't want to hear about the love of Jesus Christ or, or wouldn't you know, listen anyway. Well, maybe that's true. But you'll never know until you ask. And you for sure won't ever know if you just are doing your own thing living however you want to live, and they look at you and they see, they know, I mean, they know that you go to church on Sunday. And, you know, maybe you say some things uh, that are important to you and they look at your life and they go, I'm not seeing it.
So God's love is the source from where salvation flows, okay? But on what grounds does that salvation rest? On what moral basis can God forgive sinners? Because he is a just God, okay? He can't just sweep things under the rug and say, ah, we'll just forget about that. You know, we'll just ignore that. Um, because he's just. He can't leave them unaccounted for. Well, Paul implies the answer to this in verse 5 to Titus when he says, not our righteousness, but because of his mercy. And that mercy led God to send his son, Jesus Christ. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Jesus Christ gave himself for us. The grounds for our salvation is the work and mercy of Jesus Christ on the cross, not our righteousness. We were this. This was us. In Christ, we are now this. On the cross, Jesus was the sacrificial lamb who surrendered himself on Lamb Selection Sunday. Jesus' death was substitutionary for us. You know, if a company or a government, or a personal friend decides to let go something that you owe them. You know, if you owe a big debt to someone and they just out of the generosity and the mercy and grace of their heart come to you one day and say, hey, you know what, we're just going to tear this up and you don't have to pay it back. What an amazing gift that is, but something that we need to remember is that that was at great cost to the person who was holding that debt. They don't, they don't miraculously just get that money from somewhere else. It's gone. You know, it was with great pain that Jesus was the substitute for us on the cross. And what an amazing, amazing gift that is. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. Look at, look at verse 5. End of verse 5. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. The reminders of the good news of salvation just keep coming. Paul just continues, the Holy Spirit who was poured out to us at Pentecost and, and has been working among our world since then, washes us and renews us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the Holy Trinity are all active parts of our salvation. We see it here. All are a part of our justification and our sanctification and our eventual glorification. What an amazing reminder this is to us. Remember our duties. Remember where we were. Remember our salvation. And finally, in our passage today, Paul wants us to remember our mission. Verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. Being attacked by a beetle, I think. It's not a wasp, is it? Because you all are seeing it. I'm not. It's like dive-bombing me up here. Verse 8. 
Verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Paul has been careful to point out that good works are not what saves us. That we don't somehow present our own personal righteousness before God and he says, okay, that's just fine, that's good enough. No, he does the saving. He does the saving. But after salvation, our good works are the necessary fruit and evidence of his saving grace in us. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's where the... It's where the it's where the struggle comes. Our actions, our lives, our decisions, our behaviors, all in the process of being sanctified because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have to daily remember what he did for us, and we have to daily surrender to his fashioning and forming us because we're all going to fail, and we're all going to fail often. But the question is, when we fail, what do we do? Do we excuse it and say, ah, it's just the way I am? Or do we repent of that? And do we ask God by his grace and mercy to strengthen us so that the next time something like that happens, we don't lose it again and again? All because of his love and grace and because he rescued us, we are able to live this way. And, and all of this isn't simply for our own personal benefit. I mean, there are benefits. Peace, joy, uh, comfort in life, eternity in heaven, all amazing things. But Paul says these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. We need to realize that we don't just live our lives for self, uh, in 1 John 4, 11 through 14, we read this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Some truths we assent to, yes, I believe this, and it's changing my life. They'll know that we are Christians by our love, by how we treat people, by loving one another. How did Paul put it? To be ready to do whatever is good. So, are you ready? I want you to take some time in the next day or two to look back at the last couple of weeks of your life and be as introspective as you can. I mean of everything. Go to your Facebook feed and read back past posts that, that you have posted and, and try to see the attitude that was behind them and, and what it proclaims to those who are reading it. How did the last couple weeks of your life go? How, how did your interactions with people on a daily basis turn out? Be honest with yourself. Don't live deceived. Were they good? Did, did you humbly serve and help people? 
Were your actions loving or do you see that your actions were selfish and prideful? Was there envy and malice in those things that you posted and shared on Facebook or were they loving and encouraging? How was your prayer life for our government and its leaders in the last couple weeks? What about that neighbor or boss that you just absolutely can't stand? How was your prayer life for them? Did you ask God to bless them? To bless them with understanding about how much they are loved by him? Did you ask for an opportunity to show them love or to bear witness to the gospel to them? Our beliefs and our behavior. <laughs> if, if they're the same, if they're becoming more the same, again, I'm, you've heard stories up here. I've shared with you. <laughs> I was in Walmart yesterday. without retelling the whole story for those of you who that is a, I don't want that to seem like an inside joke. I was in Walmart one day and I wanted to, uh, I wanted some, I, 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 I'd bought ice cream and it was a hot summer day and I wanted a paper sack that they could put dry ice on top of that I could bring the thing home. And the checker notified me that they don't have paper sacks. And I, seriously, my, my wife is kind of grinning right now at home watching online. I seriously absolutely lost it. I mean, what sort of idiot grocery store doesn't have paper sacks anymore, right? And I took that opinion out on her. And, and when we were leaving the store, my wife is like, I can't believe you behaved like that. And I'm like, What? I thought it was all perfectly fine. And I, I made some snide comment about her name, too, because it wasn't a normal name. It was a weird name. And so I made fun of her for that, too. This is your pastor in a public place. We are all still being shaped and molded by God. Now, I could have said she deserved it. Walmart is a stupid company for not having paper sacks. I do have some in my drawers that people brought me the week after that sermon, by the way. <laughs> Keep it in my trunk just in case. That was the Sunday that we were talking about love. And I sat in my office that Sunday morning, the next day, trying to figure out how on earth I was going to stand up here and talk about loving people when I had just probably done one of the most unloving things I've done in a long time. So I, I don't even know if she got it, but I, I wrote a letter of apology to her. I remembered her name because it was so unusual. In care of, got the address, mailed it Monday morning. So when we screw, what I'm saying by telling that story is when we screw up and we realize it, we need to repent of it and, and resubmit ourselves to the correction of God, to the Holy Spirit. Satan wants, you, Satan wants us to be shamed about all of that. But, but Scripture tells us there is now no condemnation. If you're in Christ Jesus, the debt has been paid. We need to remember that. 
But we also need to remember that what we do and say and how we do it and say it impacts people for the kingdom, either positively or negatively. Righteousness in our lives is the fruit of our salvation. God wants to use all of us to further his kingdom. He has left the proclamation of the good news of the gospel in the hands of the church, and that's us. And when our behavior doesn't match what we say our beliefs are, the power of our testimony is stripped away by the enemy. Worship team, come on up here. I want to close with 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. Because it always seems to be a both and. He has saved us, yes, and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything that we have done, that's where our attitude of humility comes from, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through, through the gospel. The gospel. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. And, and Lord, I know that we've all had toes stepped on this morning, and I pray that you would help us to, to pour the salve that is the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in our relationship with him over those toes that they may be restored and healed. And Father, I pray that you would help us to live our life this week and the weeks to come and the years to come uh, with a generous spirit, a, a spirit that is generous with grace towards those who, who don't think the same way we do or who don't know the truth of what your word says, who are still being deceived and, and, and are still in bondage to sin. Lord, I pray that you would help us to... to, to to hope to be the one that might be able to share the good news of the gospel with, with that person. Help us to, to see people with your eyes. Help us to pray for them on a daily basis. Help us to look for good, whether it's some sort of random act of kindness or, or God, we're just constantly looking from, from the, the shore for someone who needs help. to encourage them in a way that they hadn't been encouraged in a long time or, or to just be patient or to have some grace towards them. Help us, help us as those who, are, who have the glory and grace of Jesus Christ in our life. And Lord, if there's somebody who's listening or watching or they're here in this room with us today and they're like, I want that. I, I too want to experience this joy and this grace and this forgiveness. Spirit, I pray that you would draw them to you. I pray that they would believe that, that you are Lord and that they would confess with their mouth, and believe in their heart, and that they too would be saved. Thank you for this book and, and all that you've taught us through the process, and I pray for Brandon next week as he brings us the, the closing message. And, Remind us, remind us, remind us, remind us. In Jesus' name, amen.